Okay, I think we can um, go ahead and get started. Um, <clears throat> we'll pray and then let me give kind of an introduction of what, what we're going to look at tonight. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing each of us here. I don't know, Lord, what each day held for each one of us, but we thank you for going through the day with us watching over us and bringing us here. And we pray that you would bless our time together and that we would, again, continue to see your hand down through history. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, <clears throat> How many of you think that you could be talked into feeling sorry for me? Um, I got one hand, two. Okay, now there's now we're three. Um, I'm semi-prepared. Um, I've just had a really crazy week. Um, I had two two funerals today. Um, and so I'm just a little bit behind on being as prepared as I'd like to be. Um, so, and, and the second thing, you wouldn't think this would be the case, but when you are kind of unprepared, or not as prepared as you'd like, and you're tired, the tendency is to go longer. <laughs> um, which is not a good tendency. So hopefully we'll we'll get out early. Um, <clears throat> last week we ended with the monastic movement, the monastery movement. We barely touched on that. It grows into a far bigger, um, major movement and kind of foundation of the medieval church monastery of course they're still with us today but the monastery movement was a thousand years and um, it came to be a a major pillar of roman catholicism um, but the f initial uh, beginnings of it and in the, in the th even in the 200s but the 300s and the 400s um, it was still kind of primitive and then it began to be organized. In the meantime, part of what makes this period of time in church history difficult is you've got so many layers of the same thing, of things going on during the same time. And so you can't move through, like, for instance, 312 to 590 is considered one era. 312 because 312 was when um, the Edict of Toleration was um, issued, which some people think it made the Christian church the official church of the state of Rome. That isn't the case. It was canceling the edicts that banned Christianity. It wasn't until three 80-something, that another emperor, Theodosius, issued um, another edict which that made Christianity the state religion 
and the edict he issued on the flip side of it outlawed pagan worship. So then the, the Christians, some fanatical Christians, took that and ran with it and tore down and burned up pagan um, temples. Okay. <clears throat> While this is going on, you have bickering between the four corners, basically, of the Roman Empire within the church. You have the setting up of a new capital from Rome to Constantinople. You also have the crumbling of the Roman Empire, especially to a bit more to the west. Um, and you have a whole bunch of people. It's a little bit difficult to keep track of them. But there's a number of people who become, uh, begin flooding down from the north, Germanic tribes clear up into the Scandinavians, um, who are beginning to put pressure on Rome militarily because they're getting weak. Um, there's the Goths, the Visigoths, the Vandals, um, the Huns, the Franks, which are the French, um, who today are called the Frogs by the British. Um, the British weren't bugging anybody too much down south, like Rome. But the Anglo-Saxons, that, that whole thing was going on across the English Channel and fighting over Britain. But that didn't go, didn't get much out of that area. But there's just tumult, chaos, um, stuff going on. We're not far also as these um, tribes begin to come down from the north and somewhat from north of Rome and the northeast of Rome that you also, you go, you get into the mid to late 600s and you have the major threat from the south and the east that is Islam. That was, frankly, that was worse than anything else anybody else did. Um, and the map will show us today that territory they gained back then, we never got back. They, they kept it. Um, all of these things were going on almost simultaneously. So it's hard to keep track of all of it, follow it out a ways, and then you got to go back and pick up on something else. Um, <clears throat> so let me... <clears throat> Let me try to maybe begin um, with a couple things that are going on at once under the thought of the emergence of the Pope. It's probably not technically um, the first sort of Pope would be a guy by the name of Leo, okay? Um, <clears throat> Leo reigned, or he was pope from 440 to 461, okay? Um, he, the first real, real pope was, I think would be Pope Gregory. Um, he was in 604, but and, and for instance, Pope Gregory is where we got our calendar today from. 
um, we got, he set it up with leap year and all that stuff. Um, there were several different kinds of calendars. Um, he's the one that finally settled the Christmas fight with determining December 25th was Christmas and that was it. Even though we know good and well it couldn't have been December 25th because the shepherds were out with their sheep and it was warm enough to be there and the weather's not like that necessarily in December, okay? So I don't want to ruin everybody's. The only worst thing I could tell you is there's no Santa Claus, and that would destroy um, your whole Christmas experience. But um, that's one little reason, and I don't really know all the details. The, the Orthodox don't celebrate uh, Christian or Christmas until I think it's January 6th, isn't it? Um, the same day of the armed deadly insurrection in Washington, D.C. Um, <clears throat> anyway, let's look at this emergence of the idea of a pope, not necessarily Leo, but where did that come from? Well, unfortunately, you know Jesus' parable of the wheat and the tares? This, is Ill, this illustrates it. Church history illustrates it, unfortunately. The, the field is never pure. The church is never pure. We could say this. The church on the day of Pentecost was pure. 120 people in the upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter said our hearts were purified by faith. He stood up and preached. It says he... We could, you can read his sermon in 12, 15 minutes or less. It says, with many other words, he exhorted them, so we don't know how long he preached. But as soon as he got done preaching, 3,000 people believed, and they were baptized. And how quickly those 3,000 were pressed on until they too had their hearts purified, I don't know. But you only have however long it took Peter to preach when the church was pure. And then, as we want, people begin to flood in. And some are converted. Some thought they were but weren't. Some were just getting in on the bandwagon. And so the church really, since maybe 30 minutes after Pentecost, has never been free of tares, of weeds. Okay? Um, Lots of weeds got, got growing. Um, <clears throat> Rome, understandably, the church in Rome, became the most prominent church in the early centuries. It was where the capital was. Um, a great center of population. More people there, after things began to settle down somewhat, became Christian. So it was a large, now, now they, they didn't meet, at, they weren't a mega church like we have today. They were scattered all over in house churches and so forth. But the, the church in Rome uh, would have been the largest. And they had a number of clergy, but you had a central clergyman who after a while they began calling a bishop, uh, episcopos, overseer and he oversaw the under clergy and he automatically began to 
have a leadership role in the church. And when I say the church, I don't just mean Rome, I mean in the Mediterranean basin. It was the large city churches, primarily Rome, that would be the ones that would begin to write letters and give opinions on certain doctrinal issues or certain doctrinal practices and on cooperation or not with the emperor. Um, There were all kinds of things that um, you'd have to comment on. There were heresies everywhere, which we've already looked at. There were a number of church councils that were called to settle these kinds of issues. And it was usually these big metropolitan areas and the bishop over them that called these councils to settle some of these big issues. It was a natural process. Nobody necessarily planned it. It just happens, okay? Well, at first you had three centers. One was Rome. Second one was Alexandria near the seashore in the Mediterranean and the Nile River. Okay. That was a great center of learning, great library, so forth. The other one was Antioch, northern Syria. Those for a while were the kind of the big three. Um, they exerted influence, and it was also, shouldn't have been, but it happened because of self-centeredness and so forth, that you have the Bishop of Rome, the Bishop of Alexandria, the Bishop of Antioch, beginning to defend their turf, um, become rivals, and begin kind of, you know, um, starting little bickering and little um, exercises of authority that one of the other ones didn't approve of. And, and still, generally, Rome was the top dog. Well, in the middle of all this, <clears throat> Constantine moves the capital from Rome to Constantinople, which is today Istanbul. So that he, that, that's a total shift culturally, it, power, everything, because it went clear over into the eastern portion, far eastern portion of the Roman Empire. Well, there was necessarily a sense of a vacuum in Rome. It's no, it's almost like, um, oh, when I was a kid, a little kid, we'd be, we, I grew up in Oregon. Well, all of our relatives were in Indiana. Um, And so, we were the only ones way out here. We never had Thanksgiving with relatives, never had Christmas with relatives. Those are other things that can make you feel you know, pitiful, you know, pity, pity me. I did rough. Um, probably every two years, we would drive back to the farms, about four or five of them, the, all my relatives were on farms, and we would drive back there. And I still today, if I, I try to avoid it, but if I do end up on 80 for some reason, th- old 30 runs either under the pavement or parallel or a few miles off in a lot of places. And I can remember being on old 30. 80 wasn't even there yet. That tells you, 
you know how old how old I am. But um, Rome had to feel about like you know the mom and pop's motel on 30 when 80 went through. All of a sudden, the little diner and the couple motels and the little store here and there and the gas station they're they're off the beaten path and now you know now what happens well the bishop of rome would feel that way and so and instantly there was rivalry between rome and constantinople now in the middle of all this there was also another center in addition to alexandria there was carthage um, so you had anywhere from three to five, ultimately four major centers with their own bishop who began to, out, try to try to outdo each other. You ended up with Carthage got blown away by the Vandals, I think it was. They were completely destroyed, leveled, so that was the end of them. Um, <clears throat> then you have Rome, Constantinople. If you look at a map, you know, the, they're in the northern half of the Roman Empire. You've got Rome, you've got Constantinople. Then to the south, you have a bit over towards the east, Alexandria, and then you have Antioch. Okay, so that became the four major, um, and here's a word, I, can't, I don't really remember where it, came, where it comes from. It's the word C, S-E-E. -E. Okay, the Sea of Rome, the Sea of Alexandria, the Sea of Antioch, the Sea of Constantinople. And the word Sea meant the seat of the bishop, or as it later became, archbishops. Okay, or then they started calling them patriarchs. Um, so they began to bicker, they began to um, get pretty political. And for instance, there were some, the bishop in Antioch did something to some people who, some clergymen, who apparently I think their um, birthplace and training and everything was in Alexandria, okay? Well, for some reason they're up in around Antioch. Well, he did something, excommunicated them or did something. So they go back down to Alexandria, their hometown, and they complain to the Bishop of Alexandria, and the Bishop of Alexandria then has it in for the Bishop of Antioch, because he treated my nephew, or you know, the kid on the block that I, where I grew up, and he didn't treat him right. Well, there were some people in Rome who fell out with the Roman Bishop, and he excommunicated him, and so they traveled down to Alexandria, or maybe to Carthage, when that was going, and they gave them Asylum. Well, so that makes the Bishop of Rome mad. Okay? And th so then they are writing letters back and forth to each other. They are um, trying to excommunicate each other. And it really ends up to be bad enough polarization that the Roman emperors, who by now are quasi, quasi, I guess you'd say, Christian, okay? Constantine has died, and you have subsequent emperors coming along. Um, and so they, whether they're really Christians or not, I don't know. But 
you have this merging, kind of natural merging, of the state and the church. Not good. Um, the idea is slowly lost of the kingdom of God being strangers, pilgrims, aliens, contrary to, contrary to the world, walking upstream, uh, upstream against the world. Now you have the church and the state so gradually blended together that you can hardly tell the two apart. And in many cases, the church elements of the church were happy with that. Now you have, this would be no different than, let's just take some, we'll pick some doctrine or something that's not a huge deal or it could be a huge deal. Let's just say here in this church, we get into arguments with between us and um, with the other churches in town over baptism. A, are you saved when you get baptized? Are you um, baptized after you got saved? Does baptism symbolize that you got saved already? Or is the act itself what saves you? And was it by immersion? Was it by sprinkling? Was it by pouring? And we're causing such a ruckus that the taxes are falling here in Campbell County and there's little, you know, there's um, vigilante gangs and it's just a bad deal. So Governor Gordon calls a church council of all the main pastors to settle this question okay so you got the governor inserting himself into a church theological fight okay that's the furthest thing from what, that we could even imagine but in that day it had merged to the point where the church was the state the state was the church um, and that all also brought bad issues. Now, um, I don't know if I can prove that this is the only reason that Rome got exalted, but it's a major one. You have these four centers. Constantinople is a new kid on the block, but they're the shiny new capital. It's irritating to Rome. Um, Rome would only be the one that would really have um, an extra grind with Constantinople because they used to be the capital church. Alexandria and Antioch never were. But um, you end up with some church council, and I think it was 381, but um, I think that's the one. And somebody cooked up the, some resolution that they, they voted on a pass that Constantinople should be, of those four churches, Constantinople would be second right under Rome and is kind of an asterisk that Rome really maybe shouldn't have been because the capital wasn't there anymore, but out of deference will make them honorary top dog. Okay? Well, that infuriated Rome. <clears throat> so, a foundation that was always there but now came into now flourished, was dragged out to help elevate Rome to be the top dog. And that was that Peter and Paul were both martyred in Rome. And the early, some of the early church buildings were built over the very site where they were martyred. 
and their bones were buried under whatever building they had at that time for a church. Okay, now, you can't prove any of that. Okay, none of it. Um, but that was big enough. But the real big gun that um, the Rome people wheeled out was when Jesus said to Peter, who do men say, or to the disciples, who do men say to him, well, some say you're a prophet. Or, and and um, he says, but who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay? Jesus turns to Peter and he says, you know, you've answered right and so forth. And you, Peter, meaning pebble or rock, on this rock, I will build my church. What Jesus said couldn't have had anything possibly less to do with Peter. It's impossible. It told, everything's different. But the, the bishops then, the people in Rome, said that was not a statement of a doctrine or a truth upon which the church would be founded. And the truth upon which it was founded was Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the rock, not Peter. But that's the source of the belief that Peter was the first pope, uh, even though they didn't use the phrase then, or the term then. And then that became their number one. Jesus established Peter as the cornerstone of the church. He was in Rome. He was martyred in Rome. So was Paul. And so the great minister to the Jews, Peter, and the great apostle to, to the Gentiles, Paul, were both killed here. And so that means we're top dog. Okay? And we therefore also retain that you don't the authority of the apostles. The apostle apostolic authority was passed down in Rome to the pastors and then it became bishops and so forth of Rome. So Antioch, Alexandria, and Constantinople, Constantinople, you're, you know, you're the second string. You know, you're playing double A ball. We're, we're MLB, okay? That was their kind of ace up their sleeve that they thought they could use, and it worked, um, to establish that Rome was the most important church, okay? Some historians rightly have commented, um, what did Jesus tell the disciples? Don't be like the Gentiles who lord it over each other, but whoever wants to be the greatest, be your servant. That was long forgotten by the 400s, unfortunately. Okay? So it became pure politics, greed, self-centeredness, personal ambition, which weakened the church. Okay? It also presented 
if it weakened the church as big as the church became and as important as it had become, it therefore weakened the empire, especially the Western portion, because you had mostly, we had Rome and Constantinople bickering, and it divided things. Most of the attacks from the north were against the Western side of the Roman Empire. They weren't fooling with Constantinople. They were coming down to get Rome. Um, <clears throat> so, this became a matter for the emperor, um, emperors, because it was weakening the whole situation. Plus, the rivalry, rivalry between Constantinople and Rome, and then Antioch was kind of the, um, well, I, this is an old, old ad, but there was an ad with some, you know, some kind of a big English bulldog here, I don't know, and, and there was a little chihuahua who kept jumping across, you know, as the, yeah, kept, <laughs> the, the bulldog, he's just walking on the sidewalk, glowering, you know, and, and this chihuahua, who wants to be his buddy, is jumping over his back and, you know, kind of running along beside him. That's what Antioch was doing to Constantinople. It's what Alexandria ended up doing, in a sense, to Rome. They're the big dogs, and these little dogs, I'm going to be your buddy. Um, that helped with a third thing that was going on all this time, and that is the division, gradual widening of a gap between the Eastern Church and the Western Church, okay? In ways of thinking, some doctrinal issues, and, and so forth. So you got several things going on here, okay? Um, <clears throat> now, what should I <clears throat> go to next? Probably, um, well, the Rome fell before Constantinople did. And Rome's first, if you want to call, really close um, call was from the Huns, and that was in th uh, th 451, okay? Well, the Roman emperor, I can't even remember who it was, was literally, um, he just disappeared. The only person of any authority left to go out and meet Attila the Hun as he came to the edge of the city of Rome and the walls was Leo. Leo was the bishop of Rome. He went out, he negotiated with him, basically begged him, don't burn the city, don't, you know. And so... <clears throat> They did some mischief, but they didn't burn the place down. Well, that sent, first of all, it staved off disaster for a few years. It also sent Leo's currency higher because now everybody knew he, he went out and, you know, he, he brokered a deal with Attila and we didn't, this, they didn't destroy the eternal city, okay? Because Rome, I don't know, Rome was founded in, can't remember when, Two something BC or three. Anyway, they were, it was the eternal city. Well, just four years later, in 455, I think this was the Vandals, but don't quote me, okay? It's either the Visigoths or the Vandals. The Vandals were mostly, and the Visigoths also, were um, up nor farther north, Scandinavian. Um, you, you know, the Scandinavians, you just can't.
can't trust them, you know. Um, they, all, they all came over to North Dakota. Um, <clears throat> but they were, and you know, here, this, this strikes me as kind of different. Today, um, and I, of course, I'm thinking of, you know, um, which is really not Scandinavian, but Switzerland, Sweden, neutral, the um, Danes, Norwegians, Finns, they were, um, by the way, wonderful guerrilla fighters in World War II, but they don't strike me as a warlike people, but they were. Now that goes clear back even before Vikings and so forth, but they came down and I, I can't remember who was kind of their head, but their army got right down to Rome. Leo, once again, four years later, goes out to meet and try to broker another deal. Well, um, <clears throat> he, whoever it was, was, he, was it Adrian? Or maybe that's it, I can't remember. Anyway, um, he apparently, the story goes, he heard the Pope out, he heard Leo out, and because he, he begged him again, don't burn the place, don't, you know, um, we'll cooperate, we won't give you a bad time. Um, and supposedly he just listened very carefully and he nodded like he agreed. And then he just turned his horse and yelled at all of his soldiers, um, pillage and plunder for 14 days. Okay, which is what they did. They still didn't necessarily burn the whole place down, but they had a bunch of ships. They pulled their ships up. They tore down all kinds of, um, you know, great buildings, peeled all the gold that was on pillars and whatever until they loaded all their ships up and couldn't carry anything more and left, okay? Um, Leo is still, at that point, weakened, but he's still the top dog um, because he had at least once again saved Rome from actual burning to the ground. Okay? Now, <clears throat> that plus this so-called biblical basis of Jesus um, founding the church on Peter then made popism um, begin to establish it. I can't remember if we look back and use the term pope or the rise of the papacy with Leo, but I don't remember if they actually called him by that term. Within some 50 to 100 years, they did. And it's been that ever since. Pope just comes from Papa. The whole idea of the Father <clears throat> over um, the church. Okay? Um, that didn't necessarily settle. Not everybody bought the idea that Rome was the top dog church. But as long as they thought it was, and, and enough people thought they were, that settled it. Constantinople never really dealt with it. Um, bought it. Neither did Antioch, which again continued to widen this gap. Now, <clears throat> maybe to shift a bit to the gap, 
why did the East and the West separate and why are they still separate? Um, I'm not real sure. <laughs> How, how's, that? how's that for good information? Um, there's a, a couple things. One, one or two are hard for me to explain. They're hard to kind of grasp and hard to explain. But it's Western thinking, Roman thinking, versus um, Eastern thinking, okay? Now, I don't know if, we, if this is really how accurate this is. R well, one thing is accurate. Roman thinking, which is the foundation for all of Western thinking, along with Athens and the philosophers, um, and the foundation of our whole legal system, there, Rome thought linearly from A to B to C to D, okay? And if you find yourself at D and you didn't go by D, uh, C, you gotta back up. <laughs> um, so there is, there is a logical sequence to thought, okay? Eastern thinking was more circular, which I don't hardly know what that even means, okay? But they were more spiritually, they would be much more the term mystical. Um, they were happy, they were satisfied with things that were kind of mysteries. You couldn't ever really figure it out. Things were a bit vague. That didn't bother them. Um, now, I don't even know if this is a good illustration, but it just comes to my mind. Um, in general, take Western, take Western music for the last thousand years. You get up into you know Europe. You get into the orchestras and the you know Mozart and all these people. Um, that just listen to that music. It's going somewhere. It has, it's called, has certain movements, it has certain, it has a theme that they'll go back to, but, but they are, it's doing something, okay? I may not be able to explain that very well, except by referring to Eastern music. Eastern music is total chaos, it's going nowhere. If you listen to it, it's just, bang, 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 it's just, it, it would, I think they need to take that to Guantanamo Bay and play it for 15 minutes. Everybody there would sing like a canary. Um, it'll drive you insane. Now, you come clear up even to 2021. Western countries and ambassadors and diplomats sit down and try to talk to people from the Middle East. You can't. They don't think like we think, okay? Um, that was sort of an ancient pattern um, that affected why the two people groups really began to drift apart. Um, the issue of salvation was a big one. Um, <clears throat> Roman thinking was, and this can get off, but it was more it was legal. The whole concept of salvation is a legal concept. 
Okay? God the Father, to uphold his laws and his rulership, his kingdom, and the laws undergirding that kingdom, could not ignore rebellion within his kingdom, starting with Adam and Eve. Something had to be done about it. He could not simply wave it off because it didn't satisfy the law. So the law calling for the death of the rebel, God interposed his son, the second person of the Trinity, to die in place of the rebel and on behalf of the rebel. Therefore, the father could justly accept that substitute death as payment of the law, meeting the demands of the law, because he couldn't let the law go. But it, the minute you say, uh, it's okay, you just diminish the law. The law's got to be met. The penalty has to be paid. Okay? That's Roman thinking. That's U.S. thinking. That's how we used to be. That's how Western um, culture thinks. <clears throat> the, the Romans then, um, Roman Empire, Christians, could come up with a really good plan of salvation and a good argument for the atonement and satisfaction of God's laws and all that. Eastern sometimes kind of looked at Western and Western's councils and so forth on the heresies and kind of scratched their heads as what's the big, what's, what's the big deal? Um, now that's, I have to say that's an oversimplification. But they didn't get as worried. They were more into um, the image of man conforming to the image of God and that took place in fellowship and worship together. Okay? Now, this is going to get into to something that is also difficult for me to kind of understand. But anybody know, does anybody know what, describe to me the art, religious art of the, the Eastern Church. It, there's specific patterns to it. Anybody know? The, the kind of one-dimensional flat, and they all have the circle um, halo, if you want to call it that, but that disc kind of behind the head, okay? Those pictures are called icons, okay? Which means image. They, now this is Plato's thinking to a certain degree, but they looked at those icons as being physical representatives of spiritual facts, truth, okay? And they said we, and there's not, this is incorrect, we are the icon, humans are the icon of God because we're made in the image and likeness of God, okay? So icons for the East 
became a huge deal. To some degree, so did um, statues in the Roman church so that to this day, it used to be at least, Protestants accused the Catholics of being idolaters because they had statues of Mary and all this kind of stuff. The Eastern Church didn't have any of those kind of statues, sculptures, anything. They had icons, those kind of strange looking pictures. Um, and <clears throat> generally, they have them placed, I'm pretty sure it's in the Eastern, it's in the eastern corner, maybe southeastern, I don't know, but it's at least in the eastern corner of the living room of your home and of the bedroom where, you know, the, the and, and this is, we know now um, that this is politically incorrect. It's not woke to say the master bedroom, okay? Can't say that anymore. Um, so whatever it is, the main or something, but the Eastern Orthodox will have an icon of a saint, one of the saints, or maybe Christ, one of the apostles, in the eastern corner of the main big living room and of the master bed, bedroom. You, if you're really devout and there's a, you know, you got family or whoever in the room that you come into the living room, you first go to that icon and you cross yourself and kiss that icon before you greet grandma or whoever else is around, okay? And the last thing you do at night, the head of the household, cross yourself, kiss the icon before you retire for the night, okay? Um, now, one little thing that really stirred people up and you know the thing is a lot of times it isn't a big thing you th shouldn't be a big thing that um, gets people stirred up have you ever heard of about a hundred year period called the iconoclasts maybe nobody's heard of that okay the iconoclasts were mostly some people in eastern Christianity, but w sponsored and pushed mostly by Western Christianity that we need to destroy those icons, okay? Now, in current English today, we'll use the term so-and-so as an iconoclast a lot. If you read carefully, you'll see it. What does it mean? It just means anybody, it's, it's come to mean anybody that tears down traditions, anybody that destroys um, long-held either thoughts or, or even, um, it can be pictures or tearing down statues of Grant and Lincoln, and th those are iconoclasts. It, it, during last summer, a year ago, when everybody was tearing down statues, you, you would see the word um, iconoclasts in the paper sometimes, talking about tearing down symbols that stood for far more than just that piece of brass, okay? So there were, that really bugged, that, that really set off the Eastern, um, because here was again the Rome trying to lord it over them, tell them what to do. Um, it just, it was a thousand tiny cuts that just made West and, or West and East just get further and further and further. Um, let me jump way ahead 
because <clears throat> it lasted for a good probably 600 years. <laughs> you know, you, we think, boy, somebody keeps the fight going for 10 years. This was 600 at least. Finally, in um, somewhere around 1054 was kind of the big date. But um, they'd gotten further and further and further apart. And so the Pope in Rome sent a um, representative and he went to what was by then built called the uh, Hagia Sophia. Today it's still there. It's in Istanbul. Ancient, ancient, ancient. Um, and considered probably the greatest cathedral in the world. It was built by Eastern Orthodox. Um, early church father by the name of John Chrysostom preached there. Well, when the Muslims took it over, they turned it into a mosque, sort of, but they kept it pretty well intact, still because of its his history and so forth. As recently as, what, a couple, two, three years ago, Erdogan, the, the nitwit that runs Turkey, um, went the final... Um, they, they took it from being Christian, not to a mosque, but to be in a museum for a long, long, long time. Then he finally went the last step and made it a mosque. Okay. Um, everybody was upset. The UN, nat what was it? UNG, geological, no, not geological. Um, anyway, they were all, they told him, don't you do that. Of course, he wilted and immediately drew back. Anything the UN tells you. Um, so anyway, that thing is probably, um, I can't remember the date, it was, but it's, it's 1,500 years old. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, <clears throat> but the Rome bishop sends a guy to that cathedral to summon the, the patriarch, the archbishop, in the cathedral Sophia to come back to Rome and and answer some questions. Well, of course, he refused to go. And that's, that 1054 date is considered the great schism, the great split. Um, there were some give and take back and forth for a couple hundred years of maybe let's try to bury the hatchet and let's, you know. And I don't remember which crusade it was, but you got it, we'll get into that. But the ages of the Crusades um, from the western part of uh, the empire were going and trying to take back Palestine from the Muslims. Well, they got beat badly, pushed back, and so the army that was now defeated, but you know, it was a humiliation worse than just an absolute slaughter. They didn't have anything else to do, and they were kind of in a bad mood. And so as on their way back from um, Palestine, they go up the Mediterranean eastern um, shore, bend around, getting close to Constantinople, and they get the bright idea, let's just go sack Constantinople. They're the eastern bunch. And, you know, we've got, all the, we got all these weapons and we didn't use them very well. So let's, you know, let's go sack the place. So they did. 
that put the end to um, any kind of let's barbecue together and kind of bury the hatchet. Um, that ended it. And there still, there's been some mild little things over the years where the Pope and the Patriarch in Greece, who's kind of the head now of the Eastern Church, would meet, but nobody got anywhere. Um, so, a <clears throat> couple of quick things. In addition to the, the fundamental way of thinking um, that made a difference between them, different views of the kingdom of God regarding whether it should be part of the state or not. Now, both of them, both Rome, both West and East, were too involved. But East believed that the icon, the image of God in the world, was state government. Okay? They almost submerged the church into the state because the state is run by laws and by leaders and so forth, and they believed that that is God's image of his government on earth. Okay? Um, that put them so deeply connected with the government that it, it was not good. Um, we've already mentioned icons. That was the difference between the two churches. Um, the papacy, the, uh, the pope, um, Western Church, of course, believed that the pope, and this evolved, but not only was the pope had the authority of Peter, and that established him, he now inherited that, uh, every succeeding pope inherited it from Peter. Um, but the pope was also named the vicar of Christ. Okay, Everybody know what the word vicar? It's a simple word. Um, it's, it's the representative of. The pope is the vicar of Christ. Rather than Christ, Christ being the vicar of the Father, and the only vicar we need, the Pope um, was established himself as God's representative on earth. And when the Pope, um, this developed later, but when the Pope speaks on doctrinal issues, okay, and it's, it's called ex cathedra, from, out from, from the seat, from the throne in the cathedral, when he speaks, authoritatively on a doctrinal issue, it is infallible. Okay? So his, his edict um, is literally the word of God. And if you rebel against that, then you're, you're rebelling against God. And later years, centuries, it's burning you at the stake. Okay? Um, <clears throat> They also fought over, they of course didn't believe in, I'm going to use this term, Catholic, uh, Catholicis, no, that wouldn't be right, Catholicity, okay? The Romans believe they are the Catholic Church, Catholic mean universal. Eastern won't accept that, okay? Um, but Protestants don't either. Um, so that was another issue. The um, Eastern Church flat rejected the claim of Rome to be the vicar of Christ. They've never bought that. Okay? Clergy celibacy was another thing that separated them in Rome. Um, 
where they were heavily affected by Augustinian theology, which was that the body is just filthy and evil and it is the seat of sin. Um, therefore, you've got to punish the body and so forth. And that led to celibacy for monks, nuns, priests, so forth. The Eastern Church never bought that. They, have, they can have married clergy, okay, and to this day. Um, then, of course, there was just a difference in language, Greek versus Latin. Um, and that was another, another division. Maybe some more, but that's good enough. There were plenty that, that sent them um, on separate paths, okay? Um, today, Roman Catholicism um, is just vastly larger than Eastern Orthodox. Eastern Orthodox just kind of withered. And I think I mentioned back when um, on monasteries, the activities of the monks in Roman, in, in Western church monasteries was service to the community. The Eastern church was contemplation. You just thought about, a, you thought about, I don't know, the Trinity or something. And you just sat around and you thought about it forever. So you didn't do a miserable thing. You didn't help the community. You didn't, you didn't do anything. You just sat around and contemplated. Okay? Well, you can see why that would tend to die out. The other kind of service is way more vigorous and draws people in and puts the church out where the people are. Um, so that's a couple reasons. Um, the third major reason that Eastern uh, Church suffered heavily would be what we'll look at um, next, and that is the rise of Islam. Islam really devastated all of North Africa and especially Palestine, you know, the whole Middle East, up around through what is today Turkey, um, and that crushed the Eastern Church. And so uh, that's another huge reason why they are so much smaller and insignificant today than Western Christianity is. Okay, any, any fast questions or anything? It's, a, it's right at eight. This gives you 10 minutes before the kids get out to kind of wake up, you know what I mean? <laughs> and um, then get ready, ready to meet the kids. Any, any thoughts, questions before we go? Okay, Father in heaven, thank you for being with us tonight and giving us the chance to be here. And Lord, again, I'm just grateful for the, when we look at history and what you have been able to maintain, keep the truth preserved and still here in spite of all of the attempts to water it down, to exclude it, to completely eliminate it, to pollute it, Lord, it's amazing that we still have your unvarnished truth if we want it. And so we thank you for your acts down through history in preserving truth so that we know we have it today. Go with us now, we pray, and keep us safe as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.